Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host today, Stephen Ebers. Today we're joined by co-host Austin Oberhouse and our guest, Nick Scott. For those of you that do not know who Nick Scott is, he's a very well-rounded bow hunter and outdoorsman with a lot of experience and success to back it up. Today, we have a lot of exciting topics to go through. First, we get to know who Nick is, and then we talk about his antelope hunting and elk hunting stories, how he prepares for the elk out west, and then we move into early season bow hunting whitetails, how he prepares for the early season, how he hunts more efficiently now, and what he does to get prepared for the early season. Then we move into a very exciting topic, one that I think everybody would be excited to hear about, and uh, that is his 193-inch whitetail megabuck. He talks about the background of this buck, how he got to know this buck, and how he found this buck, and then we talk about the hunt and the recovery. So sit tight. Things get pretty intense and exciting uh, during that story, and uh, I think it's uh, there's a lot of learning moments in these stories as well. So I hope you guys enjoy as much as I did and sit back and enjoy. All right, we're going, guys. So uh, nice to have you on, Nick. Yeah, it's good to be here, Steven. We got Austin with us, myself, Steven, and uh, Nick. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into hunting, and uh, anything related to that. All right, well... Uh... For those of you who don't know me, my name's Nick Scott. Uh, my my parents, like nobody ever really hunted in my family or anything. And as I got older, my brother started doing a little bit of hunting and everything. But uh, we kind of just tinkered around with some pawn shop bows and stuff. And as I got older, probably, oh, 12 years old when I really started getting serious with it and decided I wanted to wanted to pick up a bow and really start start hunting so uh, had this nice piece of property behind the house where I was raised and uh, called the guy up one day and asked him for permission and he said go for it so I kind of fell into a pretty good spot that I found out now when I was 12 years old uh, but so yeah, I didn't really didn't really have anybody teach me how to get get into hunting. I kind of just learned it as I went along. Uh, in high school, I had a lot of buddies that uh, they they did a lot of hunting. I mean, they grew up hunting, so I hung out with them all the time, and we we shot bows, shot guns, went squirrel hunting, uh, rabbit hunting, any chance any chance we could, any, basically any kind of hunting there was out there. Uh, we, we did that so that's that's really how I kind of got into hunting and as I as I got older I just became more passionate for it and just fell in love with it and it's to me it's just a way of life now so uh, every year I, I just look forward to fall to start off so we can get back into hunting season again I think so. that's a pretty cool story uh, I think a lot of us can relate to that and uh I think it's pretty impressive that you were able to, you know, get into hunting 
kind of by yourself. I mean, you may have looked up to some guys, but you, n you never really had anybody to go take you out, show you the ropes, and I don't know. That's that's pretty neat that you were able to figure all that out. And yeah, like like I say, I didn't grow up in a hunting family, uh, so I don't. For some reason, I had an interest in it, and I didn't I didn't know where that came from. But uh, yeah, as I got a little older. Haven't looked back since, huh? No, yeah, it's been great, too. So, I understand you got some fall trips coming up this year. Is that right? Yeah, uh, we're going out west. Um, we're going to go to Colorado, northern Colorado. Uh, we're leaving September 23rd. We're going to be up there for about six, six or seven days. And we're going to go straight from Colorado to Wyoming and hunt pronghorn antelope with our rifles for uh, three or four days. So that, that's this year's trip. Uh, my out west journey, well, I guess we'll call it, uh, started probably the fall of 2014. Kind of got antsy about doing some out-of-state hunting and started looking for some antelope places. And Wyoming was just one that caught us first off because heck everybody knows about wyoming for western hunting it's one of the best dream hunt one of the best places there is to go but unfortunately for wyoming all the tags are they're they're all draw tags so uh we got a few places that we were looking at a lot of tags not a lot of public land so we went off of the diy and kind of went back to maybe looking for an outfitter an antelope being kind of an overlooked western big game animal we thought we could do it for fairly inexpensive just trying to get our feet wet and everything figuring some stuff out so there was four of us that were going to go and nobody knew where to start yeah i mean i don't even know where to start with a with an antelope so i kind of all i basically i got on uh google and typed in archery antelope and different states of outfitters and uh came up so there was wyoming uh, montana idaho south dakota i think nebraska was even in there and i just started going down the page clicking on different uh different outfitters and just reading regulations on everybody's uh game and fish page and South Dakota just stood out to me because non-residents can buy an over-the-counter archery antelope tag. Okay. So we went, after we decided that we were gonna go to South Dakota, we flopped between doing it over-the-counter DIY or a guided type of hunt. So we were like, well, let's, let's check out some guides. So I started, I just started clicking on them, emailing just every South Dakota antelope guide there was out there. I just clicked on their link on there, sent them an email. How far in advance were you planning this trip before we, you took it? We were planning it for the 16th season. So I wasn't, ex I was, wasn't expecting us to hunt 15 because I'd waited till the fall of 14. Okay. And I, I didn't know how outfitters booked their uh, 
upcoming seasons or not. Knowing what you know now, <laughs> do you think you could have booked it in a year in advance instead of two? Probably not now. No, okay. uh, we got extremely lucky that I, I probably emailed 10 different uh, guides or outfitters out there. And I got two to reply on email. Uh, one of them was booked up. And the other guy sent me his rates and everything and said he had a couple openings and a possible opening four days a season. They, they book you for five nights of stay with four days of hunting. Where that's, that's the type of hunt that we were looking at out there. So I, I immediately got his phone number and called him and started saying, hey, uh, I'm interested in that first week of season for us to come out there. And he's like, well, the people booked it last year when they were here with us hunting and said that they would, that they wanted to come that again the next year and they never sent the deposit. So he's like, mm -hmm. I'm going to give them three more days for my deposit. He's like, I've contacted them, and they said they're going to send it. He's like, I'm going to give them three more days. If I don't have the money in three days, I'll give you a call, and I'll give you a week to get your money. So three days went by, and he, he called me up and said, hey, I haven't got their deposit. You're down for the first week of antelope season for four people. So I wrote a $1,500 check, and in the mail it went that day so essentially it could take longer to get set up i mean it, it kind of got lucky with getting in yeah. there yeah we got we got extremely lucky and i mean i didn't know anything about western hunting nothing at all i'd had a, i knew a few people that had went out western hunting but yeah i didn't know anything about it no <coughs> uh, knowing Sorry. now or knowing what i know now uh I just thought those outfitters, I thought they just, just took people. Like if somebody called them up, wanted to go hunting, they're like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll take you. But yeah. they're not like that. I mean, there's probably some out there like that, but the good ones aren't. They, they only want to hunt. They hunt so much, so many acres, ones that don't do all the public land and stuff too. Like this guy had a private cattle ranch. I mean, he just, yeah, he just had antelope out the wazoo on him and yeah, started up a little outfitting business. And he only, he only took like four, four or five groups of people that's uh bow season and rifle season so he so was he's limited yeah he was at the most maybe killing 10 antelope a year off of his property right so that was a big big thing so you got into it uh sent the check told your boys we're going to south dakota to go antelope hunting when you got there would you what were you expecting um did i skip over anything or did no, you? we didn't. We didn't really know what to expect. Yeah. The whole the whole trip out there, uh, nobody did any any research other than me, just trying to find where we're going. Everybody's like, "Yo, where, you find a spot to go, we're going." So, just eager to go. Yeah, and I think season starts the second Saturday in August, so you're hoping for hot, dry weather to sit in the ground blind around a water hole for antelope archery season. That's that's probably the highest success rate way to hunt a so, antelope with archery tackle with that being said are you expecting them to come in midday when it's hot or is it you know you, you know i mean you never know but yeah uh out there 
in when, once you get out west there a little bit uh august it gets it can get pretty chilly in the evening like it, okay. it can be up it can be uppers of 90 to 100 degrees during the day but it it can get down there around a low 50s 40s around Which the 40s too extremely that's a big change yeah and if if there's a heavy dew on the ground heck those things might not water and water until midday when it gets really hot I, yeah. but we we saw a lot of them come in right after daylight just yeah. working back in to lay down or feed yeah. or whatever and that's that's the thing with antelope they i mean they're they're weary animals uh and they they are they're they're constantly moving. I I don't know if antelopes sleep or not. I mean, the yeah. things are they're always up and about. Yeah. So you you took four guys, including yourself, or four guys all together? Uh, four guys all together. And how how did you fare? We actually we uh we got there and there was front moving in. So the guide or the outfitter he's not really a guide out there. They for antelope basically they just set blinds up on the best best hitting water holes and put people in those but uh yeah we got out there there's a front moving in so he didn't want to put any pressure on us or anything but he's like guys i hate to break it to you but you really only got about one day because it was we got there it was 95 degrees and dry and the next day that we were going to hunt that saturday for the opener it was going to be like 98 degrees just super hot and dry which is ideal but sunday was only supposed to be a high of 68 mm. so there was a big front coming in he said he said they may still come in and water but you really only have one day it's like i hate to put the pressure on you but you might you might only have one day and fortunately enough we were all able to tag out on the first day that's and wow. that's, that's awesome. incredible <laughs> yeah it was it was pretty cool and he said that we were the first group that he had ever had that had had four people tag out on the first day did you guys just pack it up and go or oh uh, we stayed a couple days uh he was a real cool guy uh he runs a little dude ranch there so he actually had a guy in from germany that was just just on vacation there working on the ranch with him so we we sat around and they cooked us dinner and stuff every night and we sat there and talked and his his hired hand uh played the guitar um, and yeah. so good camp fun i mean yeah it, it was yeah, i it was mean a, to to knock some el uh, antelope down on the first day and then have the next couple of days to celebrate with your buddies nothing wrong with that yeah it, it was a good time uh, so we were all down there having a good time that night uh we, we stayed one more day after after we killed with him and hung out and Sitting, staying up pretty late one night and we got the whole talking and joking around and hell before we went to bed that second night there we uh we had done book the following year opener so <laughs> yeah. deposit and everything yeah we, we wrote him a check right there so we were we were locked in we were coming back again nice so, so not only you you've done some antelope hunting out west had some success have you done any elk hunting out west i've uh, actually been on two uh elk hunts both of them archery uh public land do it yourself where at my first one was in southwest montana and we were on elk daily i mean we pulled at the end of the trailhead 
we didn't even have our bags out of the truck and we glassed up the side of this mountain in a meadow and there was three cows and a bull up there so we got there and we were pretty jacked like we just drove 25 hours to get to this place and you're seeing elk and we're seeing elk within within minutes of being there yeah that's always a so always a good feeling so you get there hope you know you got high hopes you know um did something go wrong for you guys to be unsuccessful or were Uh, you unsuccessful lack of preparation okay so Uh, i've noticed this year since uh you told me about your trip that there's been a little bit more preparation yes what have you been doing to get prepared for the uh upcoming elk season well this this year or after the first uh trip we took out west uh realize being in shape i mean you don't have to be in just peak performance or anything but just just doing a little bit of running a little bit of leg workouts some lunges squats like you don't have to kill yourself doing it just but build up your lungs a little bit strengthen the legs and just be ready for anything that can go wrong to go wrong when you're there i mean it's it's nothing like around here in missouri where you climb up you walk out to your deer stand, you climb up in it, and you sit there for a couple hours waiting. Out west ain't that way. You're, you're walking up mountains. I mean, they're, they're steep. And you don't just walk up them. You, you side hill, and uh, you take a lot of breaks because it, it makes your legs really start burning. So uh, after that first year, we didn't really get prepared, and none of us did. So we got out there and got our butts whooped just just lack of being out of shape it wasn't wasn't that we weren't seeing elk or being around elk so how did that affect i mean you're you're seeing elk you're telling me you're out of shape was it just that you weren't getting to them fast enough or or how was that a player in in being ineffective not not being able to actually get to them uh but just seeing them across the valley and not knowing the next thing to do Kind of just sitting in, the, sitting there, in and watching them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, I mean, we, we'd sit there, and I mean, we didn't know what. Once we found them, we're like, "Oh, great, there's elk." No. Now what to do? Yeah. Uh, so you you hike miles in to get up to where you can see something, and then you get there, you see the elk, and you're like, "Are they going to come this way, or do I got to go?" down another valley and back up another yeah. mountain where are they going how do i cut them off what would you learn from that uh i mean you're you only got so many days to do it uh be a ha- have have a day or two's worth of food in your backpack and be prepared that if you're far enough out there to camp. sleep sleep with the elk that night <clears throat> uh be on them the next day and hopefully get one killed first thing in the morning and you have all day to get everything back out, but how so, deep are you guys going? Sorry. Uh, that year we were going about five miles down. We one main trail down there, and it was to where we wanted to hunt. It was about five miles, and it was all just gradual climb up up this mountainside. So it was. It was it was tough work getting up there. It was all downhill coming back, which would have been nice if we'd have killed something. Uh, but that first year we were 
we're about five miles in most of the time, two to five miles. And we saw, we saw elk every single day and a lot of them. So do you think it's better to be more aggressive? Like if you see one, just decide what your strategy is, go for it. And hopefully you have success or just sit back and wait for the better opportunity. Yeah. Uh, it's a good, good question. Uh, you go, you want to kind of assess the situation. I mean, everything's different. We, every situation. we have on, like we didn't have Onyx was new. I didn't know anything about Onyx or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, which is a great tool. You, you can, you can look at that and kind of see, see the terrain. I mean, t- click on the topo and, uh, you can assess the situation. No, basically knowing kind of whereabouts that elk is going to go check your wind check the thermals and try to try to get yourself down in there in position i mean if you blow it you blow you it you blow it but yeah you're not ever going to have a chance if you don't go for it right like you said you're there on a limited time you know you you've got to take what you can get and yeah hope. and it's it's all all public land so somebody else could have been watching the same elk and be coming in from a different angle and they they could actually push them to you or something you you never know what's going on out there right but preparation that's kind of what we we kind of got off on a little bit of a rabbit hole there yeah that's all about elk hunting but uh, i've got an elk trip planned this year and so i want to try to get as much info from anybody and everybody that i can yeah I, i assume staying positive and having some good guys with you that aren't gonna you know ruin your just start whining and whatever you know kind of you want guys that you can stand to be around or, or whatever yeah. you know some people that are gonna lift you up and not just yeah. look at the negatives that that going out west with some guys that's that's to find out that's how you find out who your hunting partners are i mean you can be best friends with people and they're just not on the same page, page. as you yeah uh not that they don't enjoy hunting as much as you do or more than you do uh the western the western hunt just it's not for everybody mentally tough uh, physically tough. extremely mental yeah uh once once you get that part of it you understand uh and that 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 one one of the days that we were up there and we ran into all those elk uh we walked from 4 30 a.m to 7 30 a.m up a mountain just straight up it just so we could see across to the other oh, side wow that's start that's just to start the day that's just yeah that's just start the day so we're, we're getting up there and i'm walking up this hill and i'm like i'm from missouri why did i drive 25 hours to montana to chase elk in the mountains i was like this is this isn't worth it and i, I was super down i had lost all confidence i just i was basically done i was i was throwing in the towel on the second day just out of shape didn't know what to expect but we got to the top of that mountain and i mean the views that you saw up there it was exactly what we had like e-scouted uh just we were able to see all these drainages with open meadows between woods or in the between the drainages and everything and there, there was probably 20 or 30 of them that we could see, just little small ones. And we're like, we're going to be there just after daylight. We're going to glass those. And we're going to find elk. So we walk all the way up there, sit down right on the side there. We get off the skyline. 
sit down and start glassing. We glass all of those meadows, me and a buddy, and didn't see anything. So we were like, man, we wasted all this time. And he's, he's still positive about this. He, he, hadn't, he hadn't lost anything. He was still jacked up. And I was too, but I, I, I more than I expected. Yeah. So we kind of do a little talking and we're like, well, we're, we're all the way out here. We're going to spend all day out here. So we start glassing again in the first meadow directly below us. There's this nice bull standing right out in the middle of it. So we, we just, we both just look at each other, just smiling from ear to ear. And we were so jacked up. We, we didn't know what to do. All we knew is we were going after the elk. So we, we took off down, down this side of this hill, got in this little drainage, got below where we thought the, thought the elk was. And we had been practicing calling and stuff, but we were trying to get close and we, we pop up through this drainage right at the edge of this meadow. And we look back up to where we were, kind of checking our reference on where about that elk might be. And more we're looking, we're standing right where that elk was. So we never heard him blow out of there or anything, but we got there, he wasn't there, but that was just, that was what clicked with me right there is when I was like, man, this is, this is, cool. this is why we got up at 4.30 in the morning and walked up this hill. Yeah. All, everything aside, like, that made the trip worth it. Yeah. All, Even just, though you didn't have success and kill, you still had that. Just getting eyes. Still had that rush of, you know, going after one, and then, you you know, you felt like you've accomplished something. Right. Yeah. Like, like I said, just getting eyes on them, you know, after all that hard work, and then yeah. now it's just how we make a play on them. And hopefully. I mean, it takes time, man. You got to. When you go somewhere new, and especially going from Missouri to Montana, that's that's a pretty big change. That's a lot different terrain. Yeah, from sitting in a deer stand yeah. to spot and stalking everything. Right. Yeah, we could probably see a couple miles both ways. It's pretty flat here in Missouri. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's when my mental side of it kicked in for me, and I realized that this isn't sitting in a tree stand back home. This is putting boots on the ground and working your butt off yeah well i think it speaks for life too you know most things in life that are enjoyable come from hard work that's right yep uh we have gone way off which i completely enjoy but we didn't even get to how you're preparing this year's elk hunt compared to how you were yeah so after the after the first year i couldn't go back with that group of guys that I had went because one of them was building the house and the other guys just didn't want to go back. So I had a couple other buddies that got into elk hunting and they had been, they were actually in Colorado that year. And fortunately enough, they invited me to start hunting with them, going out west with them. So uh, we decided we were going to do over the counter in Colorado that following year. And I made a point to myself that I'm not going to be out of shape. It's not going to be me. It's not going to be my, what am I trying to say? My Physi- physical, physical <laughs> ability. It's not going to keep me from getting to the elk. So I started, I bought a good backpack for one. I filled the sandbag up and duct taped the crap out of it. It weighs 
roughly 60 pounds. So I started going on hikes with that just around here on gravel roads and stuff. And doing lunges and squats and stuff with that. A couple nights a week. Then I would run. I started out, heck, I couldn't, I couldn't run a mile. So I would just run a couple miles, run a mile till I could do that. Then I'd bump up to two miles. And I, I was getting to where I was running four miles three nights a week and doing my weight pack uh, a night or two, two a week. And that's, that, that felt like I was in some pretty good shape. I may have missed it, but when did, how, how far in advance did you start doing that? Yeah, I, I, I didn't say that. Oh, but, okay. Uh, no, I, I try to set a goal at July 4th. That's when I buckle down and really start running weekly anyways is July 4th. I found out that that's just for the couple years I've done it now, starting getting in shape. I feel like that's a pretty good starting point for me. Okay. And uh, you were doing all these workouts. You go out there for the second time. How'd you feel then? Second time, I, I mean, I, I, with two other buddies, and they, I mean, we're super positive. Like, uh, they had been to this area before. Uh, they were driving, actually driving by, and a guy was packing a bull out in muzzleloader season. So they were like, screw it, we're going to pull in here, pull in, talk to him and everything. And uh, they had a couple more days, so they started hunting there. But... So that they, they kind of knew the area. They, they, they ran into some elk then. So they're like, hey, we'll, we'll go back to that spot and everything. So I was like, heck, yeah, I'll, I'm in. So we went back to that spot, and we base camped. So uh, we were walking this trail up there. I felt, I felt pretty confident when I got there. I was like, if we can find elk, I feel like we're going to have or gives ourselves a pretty good chance. Uh, we were there the very first week of September, so Elker, that's kind of their pre-rut, they call it, but I, uh, I think that it's more around that 10th is when they start to get a little more vocal. But we were, we were all real confident, and Colorado, I didn't know what to expect uh, with Colorado. There's a lot more recreational use in Colorado. Mm. Okay, like hiking and hiking and biking and horseback a lot of people uh, out there a lot a lot of people a lot of okay. people daily and uh like i said we were base camp camping so uh we we, we did spend time at the trailhead and we, we would talk to people uh and i mean it was nothing they would come out and go for like a seven mile hike oh wow up through there and that's i mean that's all the areas that were there hunting right i mean seven miles you're getting deep yeah that's yeah a, i mean they're, they're frankly they're going about three and a half miles in and then coming, and coming back, back out that's but still pretty, yeah that's pretty uh, good <laughs> they're putting pressure yeah there's pressure. just there's that there's that much pressure on there just on a daily basis of do you think they don't know a difference uh to an extent i think they do uh i i think it keeps them quieter because there's, I mean, those people aren't quiet out there. I mean, they're talking and yeah, they they Chained might they music. might get used they might get used to it, but 
expectations were, were pretty high going into Colorado because of all the elk I saw in Montana. But we get there, and it's total different landscape. There's no open meadows to speak of, really. It's basically all timber. So the elk weren't as easy to find. They weren't bugling very well. Uh, we, we grinded it out for six and a half days and put like 75 miles on boots. Jeez. Uh, unsuccessful. Uh, had a few close calls. Saw a couple nice bulls. Had a bull bugling the third morning at us. Thought it was going to happen. The one little meadow there is right there he was bugling on the opposite side of it, so he probably would have only got to about 90 yards or so before he realized before something, he realized something was up because yeah. we kind of got caught right there. We weren't expecting him, anything to really bugle back at us. Mm-hmm. And we were working him for a little bit, and he, he kind of worked off. Uh, so, you know, you're from Missouri. We're just now introducing elk. How, what references did you use to learn how to call, stuff like that? Is there... YouTube. Yeah, just YouTube yep. the whole time? Yeah. Is there anything specific that really, any any YouTube page or anything like that that really got you? Uh, Rocky Mountain Game Calls is really Rocky Jacobson. Uh, I was watching some of his videos. I was struggling with a mouth diaphragm. And everybody says you need to learn how to use a mouth diaphragm because nobody sounds the same. Yeah. No two cow elk sound the same. So they said, figure out a diaphragm. And I couldn't do it. So I had a few bite and blows and some, some reeded calls and stuff. But uh, I found a video with him and I just started watching it and threw a call in my mouth and it just clicked. Just, I mean, it was awesome started making <laughs> started making elk sounds there you go yeah. so so he'd be a good uh, reference then huh he'd be a good anything. one yeah there's i mean there's a lot of them out there now i mean there's phelps like everybody has videos i just i mean i was new to the western side of it i didn't know what to look for i was just right. typing an elk yeah. calling yeah on youtube and then you just... how to use an elk diaphragm right so let's transition a little bit here um you're not going for another few weeks but uh, something a little bit sooner is coming up, and that's uh, the whitetail bow season here in Missouri. You getting pretty excited yep. about that? Oh, man, I'm pumped for it. I'm pumped for it every year. Sep- September 15th, everybody talks. I mean, it's a big thing around here. Everybody, that's all everybody talks about coming up to it, or at least my friends anyways. Yeah, no, yeah. we're the same way. I I do get a lot of, you know, not, not my close friend group, but I, I hear a lot of the times when I'm talking deer hunting on September 15th, oh, it's too hot. Ah, deer ain't moving. Well, do you hear the same thing or you're oh just, yeah yep that's i feel like an advantage to everybody you know that wants to be out there yeah uh i i used to i used to feel like september 15th rolled around and hot or not i was out there uh last couple of years i've kind of backed off on the the hot weather tried to try to let it get a little nicer maybe maybe the first cool day that we actually have off after a few hot ones might try to slip out for an evening hunt or something but yeah kind of quit pushing pushing that early season too much anyways putting a little pressure on them what is your approach before september 15th how do you like to get prepared for the season what are you doing i i run i run a handful of trail cameras on 
on some properties and I try not to check them. I used, again, when I was hunting as soon as deer season started, I felt like I had to check my cameras weekly, see what was out there. Gotten a little older, have more responsibilities, uh, try to be a little smarter about spreading scent. So I, I try not to go out there, but every three weeks or so and pull cards. Seems like a good good time frame. Yeah. I, I know that I can get a little antsy. Same thing, you know, you know that card's stewing out there and you just want to go see what, what's on there. Do I need to be out in the woods right now? You know, is that deer under my stand today? That's the way I feel anyways. Um, what else are you doing besides hanging, hanging trail cameras? Anything else? Are you getting ready for the... I the really, I, I don't do a whole lot more than just setting some, some cameras out. I, I freshen all my, my mineral licks and stuff, but other than that, I, I, don't, I don't do much stand prepping or anything. I, I let them just be as brushy as possible. Uh, yeah, it, it comes to backfire time to time, not having a shooting lane or something, but... I just try not to mess with stuff. Okay. Well, so you 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 pretty much, you know, you've been bow hunting. You said what, twelve years old? Yeah, probably right around twelve. Was I think that was probably my first year I actually had a tag for bow bow hunting. So you probably then have have been hunting maybe the same spots since twelve, maybe a little bit new spots too. So I guess I guess pretty nowadays, well yeah, pretty well established that. You don't really need to go do those kind of things. You just yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I hunted the same the same couple little farms my whole life, so I not much has changed. Uh, they take some trees out, some trees fall down. Uh, they they push the pattern or the trails and stuff around, but adjust to that. But you just yeah, you do a little adjusting here and there. Not too much though. Not basically the same spots. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you go through. How, I mean, is there a time frame where you go through at least and, and check the stands or anything? Just you know, to make sure that nothing has changed? I, like for, for deer movement or just for stand? Like, like you were saying, that falling down tree or, you know, no, crop change uh, or something the like that. first time I sit in that stand for the year is kind of when, you think when you're I going assess to kill the, the issue. Yeah, I try, try to go in there and uh, hope everything's the same as it's always been and they walk right underneath me, but... If not, I might sit that sit for an evening or two when the conditions are right. And before I move it, it may have just been something for that night that they came out on a different trail. Gotcha. Yeah. But, Adjustment uh, of current events. Yeah. If, if the trail's gone there and all the deer are coming out 50 yards down, yeah, I, I'll basically, the next time I'm going to go in there and hunt or a weekend or something, I'll go in there midday and I'll take that stand down and I'll, I'll move it over there and... Uh, maybe may, may not move it all the way over there too. Might keep it a little bit in between where they used to come out and that, just in case they do transition back. That's what you got to do with a bow. I'm not too far out of out of the range there. Sure. So when you say you, you you know you mainly rely on trail cameras now, are you where are you how are you setting them up? You said something about mineral sites. Are you setting them up any other way besides mineral sites? Uh, early season uh, mineral sites. That's that's about it. I occasionally on a bean field edge, uh, but just typically mineral. Okay, easy enough. So, from what I understand, you got a couple of wall hangers, and after coming through your house and seeing them for the first time, 
I was pretty, I was pretty jacked just to get the season started. I, uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about the, uh, the the mega buck that you got. Yeah, it was a. Uh, Tell me maybe the story, and uh, maybe some stuff leading up to it. Exactly. And what all? How it all unfolded? Yeah. Well, it all started, I guess, back the summer of 2009 so that's been a few years yeah a couple uh <laughs> remember that on that same time. that same farm that i had hunted since i was when i was 12 years old when i first got gained permission on any place to hunt before uh i hunted i mean i had salt licks out there and put a camera up on the salt lick and like i say i checked it weekly then and went out there one day and was scrolling through scrolling through picture after picture and you always want to see get a picture like this and it this 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 giant buck shows up 2009 and i scroll a few more times and another giant buck shows up i scroll a few more pictures and another one shows up so i have three giant bucks that i'm going to chase this year so it's a good I, I problem might, to have. Yeah, it is very good problem. But <laughs> years prior, you sit there, you check the camera, check the camera, nice bucks, but nothing big. And then all of a sudden, I have three giants that show up at the same time. So weeks go on. Uh, I get the two other bucks, but not the biggest one of the three. And I continue to get their picture just all the time after we moved off a. Of, when I take my cameras around September 15th, 20th, I move my cameras off salt licks and try to get some trails and scrapes. If I can find a scrape, that's my favorite spot to put a camera. But I, I kept getting those bucks. They were everywhere, those other two, and no other pictures of the big one. And I was still in college living in Springfield, so I didn't get to hunt but the weekends. So came home every weekend. Itching. Yeah. <laughs> came home every weekend and uh, I heard some people talking around about how my neighbor was taking like camera pictures of this buck out in his yard about every evening he was saying. So I was just kind of putting two and two together. So I set up a stand closer to that side of the farm where I could kind of oversee his yard and this was probably October like 15th or 17th most people they call it the lull leading up to the to the rut to the rut, rut. yeah but I I wanted to get down in this corner because I was like man I feel like this is the this is the corner where they're gonna come out like filter out into this little clover and in turns somehow made it up to this guy's yard but uh so i didn't get all the way down where i wanted to be because i was using a climber at the time and i found a good tree about 60 yards from the corner so i climbed up that and this doe jumps over the fence and she's just looking back just a big mature doe and she is something's bothering her and this is the 15th or 17th of October and right on her butt he jumps the fence 
and I I just start shaking because I, I like I say one trail camera picture first time that I move the stand over here where supposedly they're seeing this deer and I didn't even know if it was the same one or not and there he is at 50 yards probably and they're running straight to me and then they cut in the trail and cut back gone I glimmer of hope there for a couple of couple of seconds and it was gone yeah but i was like okay that's the deer you're in here that that's the deer that they're seeing yeah and it is the big one so i hunted there the next day i saw him again so i was like okay i'm i'm there so there's my saturday and sunday so i'm back to springfield for a week I don't know if I'd be going back to school. I have so, to take <laughs> Monday. Sorry, I'm sick, teacher. So I had my my cousin because I wanted I wanted this deer killed. I wanted me or somebody I knew to kill the, know to kill this deer. So I had my cousin hunt that stand. I said, "Don't go in there unless the wind's perfect." So he went in there, and he hunted the stand twice during the week while I was gone, and saw the buck both times. Oh wow! He's a homebody core buck. So yep. yeah, you're you're within the circle to get so we get him killed. I mean, we was hunting that deer and hunting that deer. I saw him. I don't know. We saw him probably uh, eight or so times that year, and then gun season rolled in, and I I didn't gun hunt that farm. So as much as he was showing himself, I wasn't feeling too positive that he was going to make it through rifle season. Yeah, I think most would. Yeah. So, and knowing the pressure that's around here. Yeah. So leading up to the next uh, season, we get, I get cameras out right around July on Salt Licks. And I hadn't heard of anybody killing this deer. And I figured for what I, I was thinking, he was probably a 170s then. And I had my camera up on a salt lick, and I, I just told you a little bit ago that I didn't really set cameras anywhere off of salt licks early season, but that was when I was doing a lot more hunting early season where I felt like I had to be out there all the time. So I would run as many cameras. I'd put them on trails, field edges, uh, tractor paths, anything. Yeah. And this one spot where I never hunted never hardly went into i found a deer trail i was cutting through to put a camera up somewhere else and found a deer trail and put a camera up there and week goes by check my other cameras i leave that one out for a couple weeks so then i go through and pull that and i have i look at it in two weeks i have uh like eight or ten pictures on it and six that's of, discouraging six six of them yeah it was very discouraging i was like man this ain't a great spot but Six of them were his. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Immediate change of attitude. And I, I thought the prior year I had some big deer on camera, and I was for sure I had a 200 then. I mean, full velvet, sun, perfect. It's a great picture. I mean, the first the first picture. And I, I still got that picture on my computer inside. It's the, on, it's the only picture I have left of that deer because my computer crashed and I lost everything. Oh. And the only reason I have that is because it was my background picture. Well, and it didn't, I didn't lose it. So, I, total flip-flop from the prior year when I first knew about this buck. I mean, I was just getting picture after picture. Every time I checked my camera, every camera I had out there, he was there on. He was. he was just before daylight, just after dark. I mean, I, I was, I hunted this deer 
every single day. And I burnt myself out. And now when you say you were hung, hunting this deer every single day, were you hunting them in the same stand every day or every, a different stand? Uh, there was about three different stands right there in the location that I was getting majority of his pictures at. The, the ones that were closest to shooting time. Just so you could bounce around on the wind. Yep. I, basi- I basically was hoping... I, I thought he was living in a total different spot than where I ended up finding out he was living from. And it all makes sense as we get going here. But, all right. So... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was I was hunting that deer hard. I, I wasn't being smart about it. I was I was hoping that I could get away with wind. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I was seeing deer that I was getting pictures with him with. Like, he was running with a decent nine-pointer. Like, probably any other year, I'd have shot that nine-pointer. But I knew whenever I'd get that nine-pointer's picture, I'd Here get his was. picture. Yeah. But it just, it never, it never worked out that way. So I, I hunted basically from September 15th to October 28th, basically racing home from work. So this is when you had graduated. From I had graduated college the year but from 09 to 10. When you were hunting weekends. Yeah, when I was hunting weekends, yeah. So my hunting, of, like I was able to hunt a lot more that, that second year after I knew about him in 10 but I would race I got off work at four so I'm 30 something miles from where I hunt so I would race home race home as fast as I could have all my hunting stuff set out throw it on and be putting my backpack on over my shoulder as I'm walking from the truck in maybe pulling up your pants too (laughs) yeah yeah but uh what's up puppy yeah, like I say, I, I did that basically every single day from uh, September 15th to October 28th. And October 26th, I couldn't take it. I couldn't sit in that stand anymore. I said, I, I got to move somewhere else to see if he's coming out in this, this big field where, I mean, there's a lot of deer to come out in this field on, on a nightly basis. And I was hunting just off of it, thinking he was going to stage up in these woods, mm-hmm. not getting there. So <clears throat> this is October 26th. I've been hunting him since September 15th. And I set up over this field on the ground. And I see a few small bucks and uh, everything, but nothing, not him, not any of the bigger deer that I had had on camera. So I'm getting pretty burnt out. It's finally get, starting to get good deer season, but I've hunted so hard chasing this deer. And I kind of mumble around and get out there late uh, on October 28th. So I'm like, screw it, I ain't going all the way back there where he was. I had this little stand hung up in these hickory woods. Deer trails in there, never really never really hunted it before hunted it a few times back in college just on a weekend where i could s- slip in there and did did see some bucks and stuff in there but just a spot that was really overlooked and i got in there late good wind for it uh october 28th i was like well i'll pick up the grunt tube and rattle bag so i 
grunted a few times and hit the rattle bag. And I just, just sat there. Like, I mean, if something hurt it, maybe they'll come in. And thought I heard something. I looked over and squirrels. I mean, squirrels can sound like. Yeah. But, uh, so. Worse enemy. I mean. Yeah, I mean. Every time I'm in the woods, I get Especially right after oh, here you, he comes. You know the pattern, but you still kind of got to get ready. You know something's a monster squirrel. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the end of October, you hit that, you hit that, the the horns or something, and I mean, it can happen quick. Yeah, yeah. It can. Typically, it's something small, but it you got to be ready. And exactly, you got to be ready. I, I hit those horns, and that squirrel made that noise, and I got all excited. And oh, about forty-five minutes gone by now. And I hear something in the exact same spot as that squirrel. And I'm like, I'm not looking back over there. Because I've been watching the squirrel. Like I say, it's hickory woods. Yeah. So there's squirrels everywhere. So look back over there. And I was like, oh, it's, I was like, that's a nice buck. And I had this decent 10-pointer on camera too. And I was like, I'm burnt out on hunting. I said, this is that 10-pointer. Uh, I'm going to shoot him. So I stood up, locked the release on. Uh, he, he walks in and kind of just looking around. I muffle a grunt call at him. He picks his head up and looks at me. And that's when I realized that it was the, it was the, the mega buck. Yeah. <laughs> not the 10 pointer. Not, not the 10 pointer. <laughs> and my heart was already racing because Who doesn't whenever, shoot this deer? whenever I decide I'm going to shoot something, doe, anything my heart goes 90 to nothing so that's why we do it huh yeah oh yeah and he looks straight my direction and there's this little sapling right in front of him and he starts shredding that thing and i'm just sitting there waiting and he turns on a bead line and is walking this trail that walks that goes five yards underneath me and he gets to 20 coming straight at me Walk behind a tree, full draw, and he comes out from behind the tree. He's, like I say, 20 yards at the most, and he stops, and I hear something over my shoulder, so I'm full draw, like, I'm not going to shoot at him straight on like that, because he's almost completely frontal. Like How, so, how so, high were you up in the tree, too? I mean... I, I wasn't probably 8 to 10 foot. Oh, wow. Low. <laughs> low it's a homemade stand i made an ag class too. oh man so uh i'm full draw he's at like 20 yards at the most and i hear something and i look over my shoulder and at like 25 yards over my shoulder there's like four coyotes coming through and i just knew that he was gonna blow out of there with those coyotes and these coyotes just they just cut right through the edge of the woods right there on a different trail and there was four or five of them and they just walked that trail straight off and he stood there and watched them and once they got out of sight he took two steps back and started cutting on this trail kind of going away from me to just kind of go around because he wasn't going to go right up there where those coyotes were i assume uh that's where he thought that the sound came from and those coyotes were there so there's another trail that kind of cut around my stand and it was about 30 yards so we took a couple steps back got on that trail i'm full draw 
it's starting to get kind of dark in the woods and I go to bleed at him and stop him and he doesn't stop because of the wind so I basically yell at him and he stops and looks up and I kind of settle in on him I what I think and let an arrow fly and I heard it I heard that thwack like I knew I made contact with the deer and he ran off like 20 more yards so he's probably about 50 and he stops and looks back at me so I grab another arrow and draw back and he's far enough through the woods that I, I can't I can't get another shot at him. I can't find him through my peep. And then he starts to walk off through some seat to a cedar thicket, and I notice he's all hunched up. Mm. So, gut shot. Right off, I was like, "Yeah, it's a gut shot." And I was jacked up because I just shot this deer. I mean, how much? I mean, the amount of hours you put into this deer to to finally get him into range. And put a shot on him. I can't imagine when what you least feels expected. like. You don't. Yeah, yeah. I was that was the last deer I was expecting to see there. And you're talking about the highs and lows, you know, super high. Of, well, you know, you're you're probably indifferent when you saw the buck coming. Oh, it's that ten pointer. Yeah, you're getting excited because you're gonna shoot him, and then you find out it's the big one. Highs go way up. That's right. You get drawn on him. And then you got four coyotes come through, and I can only imagine the wave of emotion that you felt. You probably just went right back down low. You're like, seriously, I got, I'm drawn on him. We're gonna, he's gonna take off now. And uh, then you finally get the shot on him. Yeah, I mean everything was going perfect, and then it almost took a 180. And that that's a lot of people don't believe me that those coyotes came in, but. I mean, why would why would you make something up like that? I don't think I don't think there's any reason but, to believe uh, otherwise. But yeah, and I started doing a lot of. I mean, I shot that deer at like six twenty. I got out of the stand at eight thirty. Oh wow! <laughs> I could see all around where that deer went, and I never saw him come out any direction. So I I assumed that he bedded down right there, and I didn't want to take the chance of jumping him. Yeah. So I, I stayed there, and all my buddies, I'd done texts at everybody, and they're all wanting, they're all like, hey, I'm at your house, uh, we got our lights, let's go track him. I'm like, no. I was like, y'all wait. I was like, I, I don't think it was a very good shot. I said, we're going to get him until 10 o'clock. We're going to, I was like, I'm getting ready to come out. I said, then we'll, I'll explain to you guys what happened. We'll come back in at 10 o'clock, we will find the arrow, and that's it. So... I mean, it looked like an army of people going in there at 10 o'clock to get that arrow. Everybody <laughs> everybody wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. There was a select few people. I tried to keep the deer as quiet as possible because there's a lot of hunting, hunting pressure around this area. Yeah, sure. And all my buddies, like everybody and their dads, all of them were going in there. And I go to where I, where I thought this deer was, can't find my arrow. Then I'm looking around, and I'm like, okay, there's some little saplings. So I thought maybe I hit a sapling or something, and that was just the deer just walked off. Oh. Goofy, so I didn't even know at that point if I hit him or not. 
But then we go back about 10 more yards from where I thought the deer was, and there's my arrow and a little pile of blood. Oof. So I shot the deer for thinking he was roughly 20, and he was more on the lines of 30. So that, that made my hopes go pretty low too, because I was like, and that's 10 yards off. And I, I mean, bows then aren't what they are now, so. Yeah, that's uh, 10 plus years ago. But yeah, it it was pretty pretty stressful. Went back in, found that found the arrow, not much blood and a lot of fat. So you're thinking low shot. So I'm thinking guts mainly. Oh, I, I'm just thinking still guts. guts. Yeah, okay. I was thinking just more more guts. Uh, everybody wanted to go and try to look for him that night, and I said no. That's I, some willpower. I tell you what, because there was there was a little bit, of, and it was one person. It take me one person to say, "All right, let's go look for him to change my mind," you know. Yeah. So that's, anyways, go ahead. But uh, it was a fatty arrow with a nice bright red blood. So the blood looked good, the arrow didn't. I was like, no. After I saw the way that this deer went out of here, let's let's just leave him till morning. I said. 7 o'clock in the morning or whenever it gets daylight, we'll start in on him. So we had a heavy frost, super heavy frost, thinking that maybe our blood's going to be gone the next day. But I thought he was going to be right here at this cedar tree patch, and he wasn't. There was one spot where he could get across that field in the direction of no woods anywhere. He went across that to the fence row and then circled way back around me. So we got back in there that next morning and searched and searched and searched and couldn't find any more blood than that one spot. And we had a couple buddies were still in high school that were looking with me, so took them back to their trucks so they could uh, they could go to school for the morning. We continued looking. Had to take another buddy back to his truck a couple hours later, so we're, we're probably three hours into the search in the morning and no, no more blood than what we left that night. So I left my cousin out there. With, he, he didn't have a bow or nothing, so I left him my release, my bow, and I said, just, I guess, keep gridding around looking for some more blood. So like, and I got a text. We don't even have service there. And I got a text from him when I was dropping the other buddy off at his truck. And he said, blood, blood everywhere. So... I got really excited and raced back down there, took off running into the woods where he was, and I mean, that that deer just opened up. It was just as fast as you could walk. You didn't even have to look down. It was just a great blood trail. Went about 100 yards, bed, pile of blood. Got up out of the bed, great blood trail again. And I'm, I'm thinking just any any low little spot there, this deer is going to be dead. Another 100 yards, bed. Got back up. Not as good a blood, but still really good blood. Like, I've had deer that I watched fall over that didn't bleed as much as this deer did. And went about 60 or 80 yards, bedded again. No blood in the bed. Got up no more blood mm. so we went from really high again to really low 
uh, this time. Uh, I can just imagine it. I mean, I've been in a similar situations, but, you know, the deer we're talking about, this is a whole new ball game here. Yeah, this is the deer of a lifetime. Like, yes. <laughs> I, I, I truly probably won't ever see a deer like this one again. I was very blessed to have been able to harvest this deer. That'll come, I guess. Here. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we already knew. You, we already knew it was a mega. You shot giant, him, so. but but so you lost blood. Yeah. Again. Yeah. You're really down. Yeah. What's going on? Super down. Like I mean, great blood trail to three beds overnight. So it wasn't us that pushed the deer. Third bed, no blood. Got out of that, no blood, and I know where. I mean, I have an idea where he's headed. Uh. He's in the middle of this draw leading down to the big creek bottom. And he's on the one big trail that runs right down the middle of it. So I walked. We lost blood. So at this point in time, there was just me and my cousin. Everybody, we started out with like 10 people. Uh, It's, oh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon at this point in time. The next day. The next day. And it's just, it went from 10 of us to looking to two of us. And I was like, well, let's just continue this trail out. It, it, this trail went another 250 yards probably down to the creek. So uh, we follow. I was like, I got a camera right at the end of this draw on the edge of the field. Right there over this grate that I was getting all the pictures on. Convenient. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we walked that out. Didn't see any blood. Didn't see him. Pulled the card. Came back to the house. Had lunch. Uh, no deer. He wasn't on it. Ah. Uh, so we we had some lunch. We called up a guy from Middletown here, and he had a dog that was a, supposedly a blood dog. So we took. We took the dog up the trail where the good blood was. And just uh, We just took him into the woods, and he got on the blood and just ran down there. And as soon as that deer got up out of the, that third bed and there was no blood, the dog just started searching. Like, he, he, he couldn't find anything, any scent or anything after that. So that dog, like, basically covered that whole draw. He went from running a bead line down that blood to searching the draw, trying to find blood. Nothing. So we, we screwed around with that for an hour, hour and a half. We're like, well, thanks for coming out trying. and trying to help <laughs> us find this deer. Yeah. So he leaves, and I call my boss. I had only been working at this job for three months, and I took off a day of work to go look for a deer. I didn't know how well that would go over. But I called him up, and he said, uh, you know, it's 2 o'clock, and you're 30 minutes away. There's really no point in coming into work for an hour and a half. So I was like, oh, all right. So we continue looking, and we basically to the point where we got down to where this draw met the uh, creek, and on the little ways on the other side of the creek is fence line to the neighbors and I was like it's a straight drop off down one side and up the other over there 
and there was a tree across there. My cousin crawled across the tree. I said, crawl across the tree, get on the fence line, and just kind of weave your way back. I'll weave my way down. We'll go to the corner, call it quits. He, he climbs across that tree branch and no more than hops onto the bank and just starts screaming. I found him. I found him. <laughs> He's a monster, Nick. He's huge. <laughs> I'm just, I just start screaming myself. And I don't try to walk across that log. I just take off through the creek. I, I slide down the bank and I just go waist deep through water. I don't care. Climb up the other side and he's laying right there, just died peacefully in a bed right up underneath a big old patch of brush. And we are, I mean, we're high-fiving and I mean, you, you wouldn't believe two men would scream like that. But, <laughs> but we, we, were, we were ecstatic. And we were, taking, we were taking pictures and I mean, I just grabbed a hold of his horns and just laid there and just closed my eyes and just so thankful that the that, journey that I didn't give up. I mean, no, for real, because easily, a lot of guys would could have easily given up, and that that deer died, and I found him in shed season or something. It had been right. a, I mean, it had been a waste. Yeah, not to. I mean, when you found him. Did would he was he real stiff? He was not stiff. He was not stiff. He wasn't stiff. So, so do you I wonder I in the back of your mind that maybe you guys were pushing him? I, I don't know if we pushed him or not. Yeah. Uh but he was no, he was not stiff. That was that was the thing. I, I seriously think that he was in that bed. That I think he went straight there and was trying to get back down there because he felt safe down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that at that time of the day is when I was getting his pictures down there too. Is when I'm thinking he got back down there just shortly after dark. Okay. I don't I don't know, but so how far did he end up going? Well, he he did a great big old loop around and straight back down. So I would probably say probably close to a half a mile in all. Well, if not further, you think it took him maybe that day and a half or whatever to die or expire? Like, yeah, I mean, he wasn't stiff, right? That's that's what I mean. I killed a buck last year, we waited a couple hours. I come back, he's stiff, you know what I mean? So, I'm thinking maybe he was just expired before you got to him. Uh, yeah, I'm. Either way, he's, he's, it, we found him and he was dead. I know, so, I know. Yeah. Which so, is, so we got him. That's and, an incredible story, man. I, that's the first time I've ever heard it, and I've known you for years. Yeah, it's. I was I was pretty popular for a while. Uh, uh, a lot of people I, I didn't know stopped by to look at that deer. Uh, but started looking for him that next day at 7.30 in the morning and found him at 4 p.m. So we spent spent all day looking for that deer. Resilience. It paid off. Yes, it did. For definitely, and that's a huge thing to take away. You know, from from this story is that you just can't give up that easily. You know, I mean, we'll just start from the beginning of the podcast. You know, you're talking about getting on these elk, not being, you know, in shape, anything like that, and you just kept going. You know yeah, what I mean? Never give up. That's that's a big takeaway and. What an awesome story right before 
deer season. The Missouri so opener. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, they're, they're out there. The big ones are out there. Just because you don't have a trail camera picture of one doesn't mean they're not there. Or they may not be there at that time, but they could be hanging out on the neighbor's property every day. And then once, once they lose that velvet, they could come right over to your property and you could have a shot at one. So they're there. The only way to kill them is to be out there. But exactly. Be smart. Yeah, which I think, you you know, you kind of covered that, is that, you know, you figured out your spots, you've been hunting them for a while, once you kind of figure them out, there's no reason to go in and intrude those spots, you know, you know when the best times are to go in after them, and, I mean, is that kind of what you were saying along those lines? Yeah, hunt hunt smarter, not harder, basically, I, I used to just go as hard as I could, and then as I've gotten older and everything i i just try to just be smarter like don't don't over pressure spots yeah uh i hunt a lot more smaller spots now than what i did too so you you got to be a lot smarter when you're hunting smaller smaller tracks definitely so you were talking about before you you got this deer that you were seeing him with another buck and you're, you're pretty sure you knew where he was bedding, but it seemed like every time that buck came out, that the other, that the one you got wasn't coming out. So, did you end up finding out where he was living? I, I believe so. Not, I don't have anything that necessarily says that's where he was. Uh, one of the neighbors did pick up a shed antler from him year prior of me killing him. Mm, okay. So, and that's that's kind of where they were where i was seeing him at and they were taking his picture but i didn't mention this in the earlier in the podcast but i had to do something early season but i had a couple hours to hunt so or i had to be right out right at dark or something so i did hunt up there i hunted a different stand not the one i killed him out of but i hunted a different stand up there early season and right at dark on that same trail i shot him on 50 yards down the trail in the thick thick woods uh this deer that i thought was the deer i called spider-man was another big one just this great big palmated 10 point buck i mean three big deer on camera and all three of them looked different but i thought it was him i thought it was a deer i called spider-man so why i didn't hunt there again i don't know but after I shot this deer, I'm just, days go by and I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, you got a summer picture there. You, first year, uh, you got, well, the first year you got his picture, you got him on your salt lick. And that's the only picture you got. Uh, the next year, you got him just outside of that thicket. Uh, the first year you were hunting him, you were hunting him just outside of that thicket and seeing him in daylight multiple times, probably eight times, like I said. Uh, I hunted him early season the year I killed him, or I hunted that up there by that thicket early season, right before dark, I thought was a different buck, which it could have been too, but come out of that thicket. And, um, and all this came back of how I blood trailed this deer. So I kill this deer, he, I rattle him and he comes out of this thicket. The trail he took was right down there by the camera. Like he looped way around, went down this this gnarly trail, just down, he stayed low mm-hmm. and all like down in any kind of dip that there was to get back there. 
And once he got back there to the creek is where all the scrape, I mean, up and down that creek, there's scrapes everywhere along the field edges. And that's where I was getting his pictures just shortly after dark. So he came through me up on the other end of the farm, out of that thicket, cut across there, cutting into the thick stuff, or out of his thicket, through an opening, down into that little, the little ditch that runs down to, that just goes all the way down to the creek bottom. So that's after I shot him, that's the same path he went. So what I'm thinking is he would get up out of his bed right before dark, mm -hmm. go down that trail, walk right through there, right by that other stand. So that's why I was thinking that was him I saw early season. Followed that trail all the way down and then just hung out down there in, uh, on the creek bottom making the taxidermist uh, that I took him to estimated him at a nine and a half year old deer. So what I was thinking is he was staying in that small little thicket uh, and that's why I didn't get his picture early in the season. He's a grumpy old year. man. He wasn't hanging out at the bottom with everybody else. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. Not until it was not until it was the right time, and uh, he was smart and he was moving after dark. Well, and you mentioned earlier on one of the breaks that the deer sign in that particular area kind of died off a little bit since he's been yeah out I, of the game. Yeah, I I think that I mean there's still some deer sign in there, but there's there was a few rubs. There used to be a few rubs and stuff in there. Uh, you'd always see see a buck uh, after dark if you would drive by on the highway every once in a while you'd see a buck up there you don't you don't really necessarily see that anymore so I don't know if that was just years of if he that may he may have grew up there he may have yeah. lived there his whole life he may have lived in that little 150 to 200 yard little radius right there I mean he had everything he wanted I, I didn't mention right off of that. Uh, hickory thicket that I was sitting on there's just a little pond right there and that's that's 70 yards probably from uh, that thicket I, I believe that he was living in uh, and he didn't have to get he didn't have to show himself at all to get I in there I was going to say just completely under the radar and... one one step across the little farm road through there and he was right in the cedar, this little pond's covered in cedar trees and tall grass so you Always think water in it. you think did he have your access pegged or do you think he was just hanging up before he got to you i i, I just think that he just uh, didn't get disturbed yeah. there yeah he he's it, it just didn't work out uh he whether he knew i was down there hunting him or not uh he he got to be nine and a half years old for a reason of being smart yeah. he might have sensed that i was down there and then hung up Mm -hmm. Or it may have just been that those days he just didn't make That's it down there until yeah. later. Yeah, well, I mean, you were seeing the deer so much, it's hard to believe that he knew something was up because he stayed in the area and he was stayed visible. See, well, that's the thing. I don't I don't know. The, when I first found the deer and I got one trail camera picture of him, I saw him eight times. Didn't kill him that year. He survived. Then I put one camera for some reason why I don't I don't know why that camera went there I put that camera there that was the only camera until scrape showed up that I would get his picture on and then when scrape showed up I was getting him Regular. all over on scrapes yeah but I might have saw him twice like I said I could have saw him that early season that, hunt up there yeah. that could have been him could have been another buck but the second time or the first time uh that I saw him I killed him so 
he went from one year of avoiding trail cameras and being visible because there was a hot doe, I'm guessing. And, and I'm guessing he got whatever he needed from that early hot doe before gun season. And that might've been what kept him alive through gun season is he rutted, might've rutted early or something. I don't, I don't know. Picked up that first hot doe. But as much pressure as there is, it's hard for a deer to live like that around, around here. Yeah. You kill a lot of three, three and a half or four, four and a half year old bucks that are 150, 160. They don't, they don't get to be, they don't get to be big. Like, like my other, I got another big deer on the wall in there and He's three and a half, four and a half years old. I mean, he's 20 points and uh, a three and a half, four and a half year old buck. So, yeah, he, he, he didn't have the smarts Needless like to that say, this is what we're talking about. You know, these kind of stories, they're, they're helpful in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? First of all, it shows that you do know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? There's a lot of experience. You, you've had success with it. I mean, a little bit of luck plays into everything, obviously. But when you stick it out like you did... You know what I mean? That's the results you're going to get. And the fact that you were able to put all these puzzle pieces together and be in the right place at the right time, get on him, not give up looking for him, this is the, the type of type of things that it takes to be a successful bow hunter, you know? And I think us rearing towards September 15th, this is the perfect time to hear that story. Get us all pumped up and uh, ready to go for the opener. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So, Nick, I just want to say I appreciate you having you on and uh, look forward to maybe having you on some other podcasts. Maybe we can talk about some other things. I know you got a lot to talk about when it comes to deer hunting. Yeah, uh, I appreciate you having me on too. Uh, I always like to talk deer hunting, elk hunting, any kind of hunting. Uh, Maybe we can follow up after, after you get back. See how things went. Yeah, we'll do a yeah. elk recap or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can maybe talk about your elk hunt too. Uh, we'll just probably try to do out. it all in the same one. Then, yeah, maybe. Uh, but no, yeah. Thanks for having me on. And uh, no problem. How how hunt. can uh, how can they reach you? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, you can. I'm on Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, do you know your Instagram name by chance? Or yeah, else? you just just look up my look up my name. Uh, I think it's. Uh, you think your name is what? At no, it's, uh, I just messed up. My Instagram, I think, is at Nicholas B Scott. I okay. think on Instagram, and then Facebook, just Nick Scott or Nicholas Scott. Okay, All find right. me there. Uh, don't do a lot of posting on either one of my social <laughs> social media things. I do a lot of following. Yeah, a lot of liking, but not a lot of posting. So sure, sure. Uh, always look like seeing pictures that people post. So I do post pictures of. So kills and stuff but i'm listeners are going to be excited to see what you got in store this year i i hope i'm hope i'm able to show them with something hopefully <laughs> yeah. three different species of animals this yeah year. hopefully but you get good content so uh you're about to say something about hunting yeah uh, i hope everybody has the best luck this year hunting you you and austin uh like i say if anybody learns anything just try to remember the Hunt smarter, not harder. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a good advice. Yep. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. See you on the next one.